Here's your host, Alex Garrett. Ladies and gentlemen, you could have been anywhere in the world tonight, but you're here with us in New York City. Are you ready? Welcome inside Adapting with Alex Garrett. Oh, if the shoe fits, wear it. Let's adapt together right now. Well, let's be honest. We are now going to have to adapt to do a new to a new administration in under 24 hours. It's a pretty big day in America, as we see uh, one president outgoing and one uh, Joe Biden incoming. But if there's anything the last even year has shown me is that you know this path for this podcast isn't always politics heavy. It's about using the story, using um, experiences. To further help people bigger than politics, I think. So that's why I'm not talking about politics tonight. I'm talking about adaptation and adapting. Uh, I'm not sure if my next guest, Tara Keene, heard my praise of her on my last podcast with her article in Durango Herald about the reframing of the disabled community. But I brought her on. She's the CEO of Community Connections Colorado, Tara Keene, K-I-E-N-E. Thanks for joining me tonight. Thanks for having me, Alex. So I was very touched by your article because, as I mentioned off air, one of my themes is smashing stigmas. And from your article in Durango Herald about reframing disability, I feel like you're telling us, hey, yes, we can smash stigmas in our own lives. Absolutely, Alex. If you look at the history of how we have viewed disability in our society, uh, it, we've basically looked at it as a, a bad thing, capital B, capital T. And really, that's a lie that we have been told. And when we look at the immense success that people with disabilities have in our workplaces, it really shows how we need to rethink how we see the assets that people with disabilities bring to our workplaces, our communities, our schools, our lives. And how do we do that? Like, let's go step by step. What is your thought process on, on reframing? Well, I think that the first thing is to get away from that concept that disability is bad. So many people with disabilities that I meet have flourished as not just in spite of their disability, but because of it, that there are so many talents that people bring to the table. You know, when we look at the concept of neurodiversity, which it sounds like you've been speaking about on your podcast, it's the idea that, you know, the way our brains work is not a dichotomy. It's not it works one way or another, that there's this whole spectrum to the human experience that includes a whole diverse way that people process information and process the world around them, which would be neurodiversity. There's a whole spectrum of the way that we use our bodies, and that is all part of a normal human experience, right? This is the way we were all made. And so, you know, if you look at the whole social model of disability, what what makes people disabled isn't their bodies, isn't their minds. It's the 
the stigmas, the barriers, the environmental pressures that our society has placed. Well, and I love right? the, uh, yeah, and I, but I also love the internal, like, love the, the idea that the internal also affects you. Like, you have a bad attitude about it. That also hinders you. That disables you more than your disability. So I feel like Community Connections Colorado empowers people to say, yes, you have this, but you can do more with what you have. That's right. And, you know, we are part of, unfortunately, a whole system that has been developed to supposedly support people with disabilities. And I'm afraid hasn't really done that a lot in the past, has actually done a lot to keep people with disabilities segregated and unempowered. And at Community Connections, you know, we're still fighting against that system. We're still part of of a system that we know really, really needs to change to be able to start shifting mm. the way disabilities are seen and supported in our our communities. Absolutely. Now, you said this, and I really hammered down on it, I feel, about the word ridding. Like, we just want to rid people of their disability, and that's not reality either. So does that frustrate you when people start to say, yeah, we want to just... Um, we don't want to see this person as is like, what did you exactly mean by that? Ridding the folk, you know, the focus on ridding the disability to expand more on that. Cause I'm curious. Well, I think we see a really good example in autism and some of the overemphasis to finding a cure. You know, there, I know a lot of people with autism that they're not interested in a cure. They're interested in, the supports that they need to live a wonderful life mm. as they are and not to be changed. And if you think about the message that we send to people when we say, you know, you, you need to be cured of, you need to be changed. You're not enough. You're not right. Uh, that's not a message that any of us want to or, or need to hear. And I think if we can really shift away from that model of feeling like disability is something bad that needs to be changed to seeing it as part of our normal human experience and finding ways to ensure that everyone, regardless of their abilities or disabilities, is able to access those same qualities of life that we all want. Now, I did mention in the beginning we're not going to talk about politics in that form of like transition and whatnot. However, politics does play a role in how the disabled community can be empowered to survive and, and thrive really in this world, doesn't it? Oh, in so many ways. I mean, everything from where Congress and the administration chooses to put their money, uh, whether it be into disability services in the communities or back into institutions. Even just that choice uh, makes a huge difference in the lives of people with disabilities. And honestly, the role model that our political leaders show, are they bringing people with disabilities to the table to help make some of these decisions? Or are they mocking and belittling people mm. with disabilities? Well, it uh, it does it does seem like a change of pace is happening in Washington for the better. I'll put it that way. Now, you've um, how did you get involved with this? Because I'm I'm always curious. Uh, 
just because I've, I've been around the table community my whole life and, and, you know, I'm, I'm seeing everybody empowered in my own circle. But when I, when I tend to see the outside world, sort of like the able-bodied world engage with us, I'm like, what inspires you to do that? I mean, it, it doesn't, it, you know, it's not just cause you, uh, it's not just feel good for you guys, but you, you do it cause obviously you see potential and that's why you jumped into all of this. I'm sure Tara. Yeah, I have always had a really high interest in social justice. I mean, I really believe that until everyone is free, until everybody has all of their civil rights and justice, none of us really do. We may think we do, but until all of us reach the finish line, none of us have really reached the finish line, right? Mm. Um, And, you know, People with disabilities, you think about ADAPT, you think about uh, Atlanta's in, uh, in Denver and some of the major activism that has happened in the disability community, I mean, have really propelled some of the most instrumental legislation and policy changes in our nation. I mean, it's just incredible the work that has been done, and yet Still, people with disabilities are probably, in many cases, one of the more marginalized populations in our in our nation, in our country. When you look at the unemployment rates of people with disabilities, I mean, we would be horrified if the general population had the kind of, you know, mm. 75, 80% unemployment rates that we see with, you know, particularly people with intellectual disabilities. We have so much work still left to do. And I am honored to be a part of that work because I know it's good for all of us. Now, as you say, social justice and, and, and relying on the outside world sort of give us the opportunity, like the business owner and the, and the company, uh, how do you train those who have these intellectual, you know, challenges or even physical to just say, Hey, don't get down on yourself. How do you tell them that? Because I think they too need to hold themselves to a higher standard as well. If they want the company to. That's a really interesting perspective on that, Alex. And yes, I think so many people with disabilities have, they've been beaten down, you know, just the, the self-esteem um, problems that comes out of constantly being told no, constantly having horribly low expectations. And so, yes, I think especially young people coming up now who can have a lot more opportunities than some of the older generations ever did to just help remind them, don't take no for an answer, you know, mm. shoot for the moon. There is so much more than that you can do than the professionals, the business leaders might tell you and just keep trying, keep going for it because you do have incredible things to offer. Mm. I love hearing that empowerment there for, for everybody. Now, one thing that struck me about your article uh, about reframing the disability in the Durango Herald, and by the way, do you write there often? I feel like you're like on the staff or uh, your name's up there a lot in the Durango Herald. 
Yeah, I actually write a monthly column for them. They have a really great community program and have columnists from a lot of different aspects and influences in the community who write in. And I do have a a monthly column with them that generally focuses on disabilities and disability activism, disability advocacy. Mm. Uh, let me ask you this. So what I thought was also interesting about your article was that you talked about how you would take cues from the ballet dancers and the, and the, you know, the able-bodied people that actually had to adapt to injury. Talk about that because I feel like people, when they see a ballet, they don't think of that aspect as much. But when you wrote about the dancing part, I, I was very curious about that, how they adapt. Yeah, so that was just an interesting thing that uh, one of my dance teachers had had talked about, um, where really a lot of innovation in in dance and indeed in a lot of aspects of life, uh, innovation happens a lot of times when people can't, for whatever reason, do things in the traditional way. And so they come up with their own solution, come up with their own creative way to do the same thing. And I see that as an area where having a disability, we should see that as an asset in Mm -hmm. so many ways. So many people with disabilities, because of the barriers that they face, have been forced to be innovative, have, uh, you know, come up with incredible ways of navigating the world that we could all benefit from and learn from. I mean, just look at all of the technology that we're all benefiting from today that were originally beneficial to people with disabilities. So, you know, I can opportunity there. I can remember from heart and, and recite all the examples you wrote about, but now that I have you here, I think it's more important to tell, hear from you what examples you've seen of that because you write pretty in depth about how you saw uh, people with intellectual, people with other things really adapt to their work life, to their home life, to even driving. Exactly. Yes. You know, it really depends on the individual person's talents. Uh, You know, everything from, you know, people with autism having some great talents around focus, around staying on the same task for a very long time. Um, You know, people, I, I talked about people with learning disabilities who, you know, have become leaders in business, in politics, in many arenas because they have developed just great memories because their reading skills were weaker and some of the the things that they had to overcome. Uh, You know, I have a a good friend who is in a wheelchair because he had an accident as a young man and says, you know, because of this wheelchair, I have testified in front of Congress. I have been politically active. I have done all of these things with my life where before his trajectory, he thinks was just to be kind of a a bum kid, Mm. (laughs) right? And not really contribute much. And he says, you know, this changed my life for the better in many ways. Um, And so I I think remembering that people with disabilities have so much to offer. And we have really 
society has set the limits. Mm. People with disabilities haven't set the limits. Uh, no, they haven't. And by the way, um, you know, about the wheelchair paraplegic, I love the marathon when I see these guys fast as ever heading down to Central Park to complete the marathon. It is something to watch. Um, so I, I mentioned that because I want to know more about the Community Connections Colorado. Do you guys have like a sports thing too? Like how do you guys keep the keep your uh, members happy and keep them socialized as well? Yeah, well, of course, right now during pandemic times, that's a a little different than usual, but we are really focused on helping people with disabilities become truly socially integrated within their communities. And so rather than us trying to create a whole bunch of um, kind of segregated activities, what we're really striving for is getting people with disabilities who are interested in dance involved in their community dance class. You know, if they are interested in a job, helping them connect with the local childcare center who's looking for employees or, you know, getting further education. Um, Not too long ago, we helped support a young man who uh, was really interested in welding, went back to the local community college, got his welding certificate. And so really supporting people, again, kind of breaking through those barriers instead of saying, hey, what do people with disabilities typically do? Let's go do that. Looking at what are your real interests and passions and life goals and let's help support you to, to get there. Uh, you know, what do, what do you need enabled to to be able to get there. So that's really our goal. Um, as I said, we are still working in within systems that do still operate under that very segregated model. And, you know, of course, people with disabilities can choose to hang out together and choose to, to do things together. You know, I'm not saying that people with disabilities can't congregate, but when that's the only option, that's a problem. Yeah, I mean they have right. to be integrated with the with the whole community. And so as far as companies go, I kind of made this reference I said that, you know, the equal employment opportunity plaque shouldn't be just a plaque where they just reach a quota. So how do you bring that humanity of the disabled community to an employee that might be hesitant or employer that might be hesitant? How do you bridge that gap? That's a really good question as well. And I think part of it is we in the disability services community need to be extraordinary role models in that arena. You know, we have, ironically, we have a huge workforce shortage in the disabilities field. Um, There's high turnover. There's a, a lot of need for employees. And yet we as a system don't employ enough people with disabilities to actually be peer mentors, to be peer supports. And so I think a a big thing that we can do is really focus on being a good role model so that when we go to businesses, we can say, hey, here's here's some policies and procedures that you need to have in place to be welcoming and supportive of disabled employees. You know, here are some actual uh, 
you know, physical changes that you might need to do to your space. Here's some attitudes that you may need to let go of. And I think if we have been through that actual process ourselves, uh, that really a gives a lot more credibility when we, we go to businesses and say, Hey, we think this would really benefit you. And also kind of tests the models, tests how this can look. Sometimes I find that in the community service realm, people do things for the disabled community because it, it looks good for a community service um, article or something like that. So I would like to veer away from that, and I'm sure you're working on that, and just have companies hire just because they want to hire them, not to be in a newspaper. And maybe that's too jaded to say, to, to feel. It's just how I feel sometimes about it. Yeah, there can be a bit of a hero complex that's associated with uh, some of these initiatives, definitely. And, and so, um, I don't know, how, how do we encourage companies to do it just because they want to do it, not for the hero complex, as you say? Well, and that was basically the, the premises of what I was trying to get at with this article is people seeing the actual talents that people with disabilities bring that, you know, they have incredible assets and capabilities and being able to show businesses that, yes, you, you may have to adapt a couple of things. And if you do, you are going to get this extraordinary employee who may be with you for decades because they will be so loyal to you for giving them that chance. So I think, yes, we have tended in the past to emphasize the tax credits that businesses can do or the feel good. But I think showing businesses the actual benefits to them, you know, go for some of the self-interest of what an incredible employee they're going to be getting. You know, parents might hear this and parents probably go to you guys and say, hey, how can you help my son, my daughter? But what can they do as well to encourage this empowerment that they may be nervous to do? Or I'm, I mean, the parents I know, thankfully, have empowered us. But for those who are a little worried, what is your advice for them on how to empower their kid? Yeah, I would say, first of all, ignore the professionals. There are a lot of professionals who are going to tell you what your child can't, won't ever do. And... Ignore us. We don't always know what's best. Um, you know, go with your gut. You are the parent. This is your child. You know what their passions are. You know what their dreams are and support them 100% of the way. Do not put false limits on what your child can accomplish. How has Community Connections Colorado been able to get people in the workplace? Like how... How much of a success rate is there? Is it like a graduation into the workplace? How do you guys do that whole thing? Because I'm genuinely curious. Yeah, you know, it's not something that we have done as well at as we would like to. Um, I do try to steer away from the idea that somehow somebody has to earn their place to go into the workforce. Of course, you know, all young people coming up have to learn work ethics, have to learn things like how to get up in time to get to your job. That's not a, a disabled 
No, that's everybody. No that's, no, that's something everybody has to learn. And, you know, we we don't force kids without disabilities to, you know, go through something to prove that they can work before they go into a job. Of course, you know, all kids getting some volunteer experience, getting some work experience when they're young as interns uh, can be really helpful and can really even help people decide what they do and don't love to do. And so I think giving people a lot of enriching opportunities in their lives does lead to more success in employment. Um, But there are also still, unfortunately, a lot of barriers that we have yet to overcome. Those Mm. being, you know, attitudinal barriers, benefits can be a huge barrier either of perception. There are people who, you know, they fought so hard to get their disability benefits that now they are almost paranoid to lose them. And so, you know, there's some perception of the loss of benefits and then there's some reality in the loss of benefits. And so helping people navigate um, that system and then, uh, you know, building people's self-confidence and self-esteem that they're willing to try and they're excited to try new things. Um, One of the more exciting Uh, initiatives that is coming into supported employment is the idea of um, carving out some aspects of jobs. And so, you know, if somebody with a disability perhaps is unable to do 100% of what is generally in the job description, are there aspects of that job that, that can be carved out? You know, I think too many employers look at um, kind of how they've traditionally filled a position. And one of the things that we're really trying to help people do is looking at their work tasks in a little bit different way so that you can match people with their skills, with their aptitudes, with their interests. Well, look, if Ali Stroker could become a, you know, a um, Tony Award winner, in Oklahoma, then the local business down the block can hire someone who does have an intellectual or physical disability. I mean, that's just how, how I see it. Now, what's the age range that you guys uh, help out? I didn't ask that yet. So we have everything from an early intervention program for very young infants and toddlers um, through the entire spectrum of life. We have a whole array of different programs that are appropriate at different stages and interests in life. So we run the gamut. Well, it's interesting you say that because I I have a question for you, maybe personally or through the company too. Like as someone who is becoming a little older and seeing my parents get a bit older and I want to be there for them, when parents, when you were spent the whole life just trying to make it through and I guess survive, however you want to say it, when they are now needing your help, it's like, well, wait a minute, I don't feel I got the training to help my parents out as they help me. So what's your advice to older dis- disabled adults who haven't, who don't feel prepared enough to take care of their, their you know, parents at this age? Right. It's interesting how many people um, I know professionally who, yes, this is what they do for 
a living. They support people with disabilities. They support seniors. And then they get thrust into personally having to navigate the system of getting elder care or getting care for people with disabilities and realize, oh, my goodness, how bureaucratic and overly complicated the whole system is. So, yes, it is a great idea to reach out for help. Every state has an aging and disability resource center system. You know, find your local ADRC Find somebody that can help you navigate because even the professionals <laughs> stumble through. Um, yeah, it is. It's okay to ask for help because the great thing is there are lots of options out there. The difficult thing is there are lots of options out mm-hmm. there. <laughs> so. Well, and obviously people come to Community Connections for, for help of all kinds. So what do you... What do you think makes the company stand out? I mean, we have in, in Long Island here, the Henry Viscardi School, they've actually done a little more adult, but they're more the uh, K through 12 program for kids, for high schoolers. Um, but nationally, they stand out, you guys stand out, but what makes you guys stand out? I'm kind of curious what you think, well, how you think you guys are able to build that base of support um, for your community and beyond. I love that question. I would say what helps us stand apart is we have a pretty long history of progressive leadership around disability services. I look at some of my colleagues, uh, even in the state of Colorado, who are struggling with, you know, how, how do we get rid of, for instance, sub-minimum wage for people with disabilities? And We've been out of that for decades. You know, we got rid of sheltered workshops and group homes in the 90s. And so some of the things that people, uh, you know, people who provide disability services are having to struggle with today, we had already moved away from. Now, we aren't yet to our goal. We're not yet to what we see as our ideal but we have been able to build upon that vision of some of our early leaders in this, this organization who were just immensely dedicated to the idea of people with disabilities living the exact same lives as their, disabled na- their non-disabled neighbors, right? Having the exact same opportunities as everyone else in the community and we have really held on to that vision and have worked diligently toward that vision for decades now that's amazing and i think the other thing is is respect in the workplace i think there's a big deal about that too like once we're there how do we establish it and i partly believe that's on us but you're saying the the workplace can do well as well in that respect area Employers can do better. Uh, disability service providers can do better. We can all do better. But if we're all willing to say, hey, we can do better, let's work together to get there, I think we can do it. Now, neurodiversity, I, I am still trying to figure that out because it sounds complicated. Actually, I believe it's like been around since 1998, the term itself. But it seems like you've covered that. So give us a little background on that because I'm, I'm very curious. 
Yeah, so the idea of neurodiversity, as I said, is that, um, you know, someone with autism, with, uh, you know, some autism spectrum disorder, we used to use the term Asperger's, um, that has gone away with the DSM-5. You know, a person with autism, basically their brain works differently. They have different synapses firing. They have different neuro connections. And the idea of neurodiversity is that that is a normal part of the human condition, that there are just diverse ways that our brains work. And they're all equally normal. But uh, what we call neurotypical brains have basically dominated our culture. So our world is set up with a neurotypical lens, shall we say. And so that is what makes it difficult for people with autism to navigate the world. Not that there's anything wrong with how they process information or how they're um, how their neurons are set up. It's just that our world isn't set up to support that way of thinking. And if we are willing to look at neurodiversity as just a diverse spectrum of different ways that people's brains operate, that all have assets that all contribute to the success of humanity, then that gives us a little bit different way of how we set up our society, you know, making it more comfortable for people of a wide array of processing to interact with the world rather than looking at it as this is a problem, this needs to be cured. The person is the problem, right? And neurodiversity says, no, the person is completely normal and we've just set up a world that doesn't support their needs. Well, I think we're just seeing some support now in this school system because I don't know if you're following it. They just ended the gifted and talented school or requirement test or entry exam here in New York. And I'm very happy about that because I feel like a test shouldn't determine whether someone who is as I say, gifted and talented, should make it. I think they should be able to give it a chance to have education no matter what. Yeah, we are using IQ tests uh, nowhere near the manner that they were originally intended uh, at this point, most definitely. Uh, can you expand on that? Because now you got me interested. What, what, do you feel like we're overusing it or underusing it? Like, what, what, How do you feel about that? Yeah, IQ tests were really intended, uh, you know, for better or worse, when public education started to be more popular. And so uh, kids from lots of different walks of life were coming into classrooms together. It was a, a way of assessing uh, what needs they had in that classroom at that time. It was not really intended to be a predictor of someone's future intelligence, whereas now we We've kind of locked people into 
you know, their IQ is their IQ for life, or it, it's some predictor of future success. And that's not really how it was ever intended to be used. It was just kind of a, a point in time way of figuring out what kids in a classroom had what specific educational needs. That I'll have to get back into that because it's a, we don't have time tonight, but I'm very interested to see that, uh, talk about that a little bit more. What I'm curious, though, because since you're in the community and whatnot, the other thing about um, the disabled community is the ADA. Obviously, it's going to turn 31 this year. So from 30 years ago to now, progress, not enough progress. What can we do differently? What have you seen as far as the ADA goes? Has that been a solid? It's been solid, but has it been listened to well enough yet? Oh, absolutely not, Alex. Uh, the ADA is a beautiful piece of legislation that has absolutely no teeth. You know, there is absolutely no accountability. You know, on the one hand, accountability, and on the other hand, support to businesses and other um, you know private entities who are covered under the ADA to actually meet those requirements. And, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about, yeah, how do we support our aging parents? And one of the most obvious ways that we can support people as they age is following the ADA, you know, universal design. Most of the things that um, are covered under the ADA, most of the structural changes that a lot of businesses could and should be making would be beneficial to millions upon millions of people, including people with disabilities, but including people who are aging, including pe pregnant mothers with strollers, including people who are uh, temporarily disabled after surgery or a medical condition. You know, it's, it's the greatest good for the greatest number of people, and yet... As you say, 31 years later, the majority of institutions and buildings and businesses still are not fully accessible. And we should think that's ridiculous. And as someone who does um, rollerblade around on one leg, and I, that's just normal to me. It just It's worth noting, I guess. But as someone who does that, luckily I don't find those challenges as someone as a wheelchair might. So maybe I'm jaded to say that sometimes... I feel the ADA could be weaponized in the sense that they just sue for, you know, because they feel like they're entitled to it. And I'm like, no, that's not the way the ADA works either. And I, from what it sounds like, you don't think the ADA could be weaponized or do you? Like, do you feel like there is that component as well? I think the people who have abused the ADA are not so much people with disabilities, but they are often lawyers and other people who are also using people with disabilities to make those claims. And unfortunately, the fact that the only way that um, people can influence an entity, a business to come into compliance is through a legal suit that just sets up that system, right? That they, sure. they don't have, you know, any other civil means of going through, uh, you know, the office of civil rights, you know, they can make complaints, but the only real way to, to make sure that changes happen is to make a lawsuit. And of course, yes, there are, 
drive-by lawyers who have seen that as an easy way to make some money, and they have exploited and abused that system. And unfortunately, I think um, it has made people who are who are honestly impacted by physical, structural barriers, um, they have been more hesitant to make complaints or have not been looked upon as serious because of these more frivolous lawsuits. Very intriguing. I, I didn't even think about the lawyer aspect, so thank you for enlightening me on that. Now, your message tonight, by the way, we're talking with Tara Keen. She's the CEO of uh, Community Connections Colorado, and I ask every guest of mine on here this question. One thing that your community, that your friends, your peers, your family don't know about you, but you're willing to say it right here. One thing that people don't know about you. Oh, wow. That is a really good question because usually I am just an open book and I'm not sure there's much out there that people don't know about me. Um, I think one thing of interest that, uh, especially since I have lived in Colorado for, gosh, going on 20 years now. It'll be 20 years in June. I have never once been downhill skiing. And I know that is anathema in In Colorado? No way. Right? (laughs) I have never once been downhill skiing, and it's mostly because I am a huge klutz. And I know I would just end up rolling down that mountain right into urgent care. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it's funny you say that because a lot of people are like, you know, the way you rollerblade because I have the crutches and the and the skate, it's almost like ski poles. They're like, why don't you try ice skiing? And I, I haven't done it either, but there is adaptive skiing out there, and I, I should really look into that as well. There is. There's a lot of technology to help you get up on those slopes if that's something that you love and awful lot of people uh, I know a lot of my friends and people who uh, participate in community connections love it and more power to them well I know Aspen I think actually has a program in Aspen Colorado if I'm not mistaken so I gotta oh we have one in in Durango and nearby in Telluride so very cool well yeah come on out oh I have friends out there I'm willing to get out there you know as soon as this pandemic's pretty much done and I can travel again, you know, full, full time and whatnot. But Tara, as we do enter a new administration, I have to ask you, what's your message to the community tonight as we see one president go and one president, Joe Biden, about to be inaugurated tomorrow? So I think as we see in social justice movements, your vote is so important. People need to make sure that they are involved on the local level, in local politics, in state politics, stay aware and involved in national politics because everyone that we have elected is there to serve you. So remember that. Let your voice be heard. Continue voting, continue being involved, no matter what the administration, we have to hold them accountable for supporting the needs of the millions and millions of Americans with disabilities. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for giving us a a sign of hope, a ray of hope, if you will, 
that we can get through all of this together as one. And uh, please come back. And I'd love to talk with you more about other, you know, connections and, and literally let's connect on this podcast for people um, who need the help out there. So I'm, I'm excited to work with you and, and build this connection as a, you know, community. yeah, build this connection. Exactly. Aptly named. <laughs> yeah. All right. Alex Garrett here with Tara Keen. And remember, we're always adapting. And join us next time.